sing at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please uh, join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk, back at the normal time. Back chat's coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly fine, apart from one or two showers. Very hot during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 34 degrees and the very hot weather warning is in force. Mainly fine and very hot tomorrow. Then showers are going to increase gradually in the middle and latter parts this week. The temperature right now is 29 degrees and it's 80% relative humidity. Time's just gone 8.30. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. Health officials reported 1,917 new COVID cases yesterday, including 118 which were imported. The Centre for Health Protection said a class at St. Stephen's College in Stanley had been suspended for a week after three students and a staff member living in the dormitory contracted the virus. Here's the centre's Dr. Chuan Chukwan. We haven't discovered any connections with the previous infections among the students of St. Stephen's College. Of course, there are many cases in the community, and it's possible two sources of infection made their way into the campus. We need to investigate further to see whether the cases are connected. National Security Police say they've detained two men for allegedly publishing seditious messages. They say they made the arrest in Changshawan and Chaiwan and that officers seized electronic communication devices, military knives and an imitation firearm. Forensic experts and toxicologists in South Africa have been sent to the city of East London to try to establish how 22 young people died at a nightclub there. The BBC's Shingai Nyoka has more details. Police remain at the scene of the incident, in which the cause of these deaths remains far from clear. Officers responded to distress calls at Enyobeni Tavern in the early hours of this morning. Most of the victims were teenagers. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa expressed his condolences to the families and called for a thorough investigation. The police have ruled out a stampede as the cause. There are suggestions that the revelers could have inhaled or ingested a toxic substance. NASA has made its first launch from a commercial site outside the United States. The rocket took off from the Arnhem Space Center in northern Australia and carried an observation platform 350 kilometers into the sky to study X-rays from the two Alpha Centauri solar systems. Five, four, three, two, one, go! NASA said the Southern Hemisphere launch site allowed it to see targets it couldn't from the United States. The Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese called the project the start of a new era for his country's space industry. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. And we also have in the studio with us Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Jim. And we'll also be uh, joined on the line uh, shortly by George Cawthorley, Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce, because uh, this morning our topic is... 
uh, prospects for a fuller reopening of the border, uh, both with the mainland and the rest of the world, and possible changes to quarantine rules. The incoming chief executive, John Lee, has said he's working on plans to that effect, and he aims to review the current quarantine measures, including suggestions of uh, allowing returning residents to isolate at home or shortening the days required to be spent in designated hotels. The incoming health minister, Lo Chung Mao, has raised the possibility of reducing the quarantine period to five days or less with a closed-loop journey, which would entail travellers being able to go only to places on a scheduled itinerary. After 9.15, we'll look at the latest COVID situation in Macau. You can let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88-266. OK, uh, Mark, uh, good morning once again. So uh, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling encouraged at all by developments in the past few days and what people have been saying, like uh, John Lee, uh, Lo Chung Mao? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's hopeful. And it's certainly the issue, among many other issues, for the companies in, in our group, for example. But it's also maybe a little bit late for most of them. I just we just held a dinner a couple of days ago, and uh, three of the three of the people attending it was their last time in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, their their families have moved to Europe, and uh, you know they they're looking at alternatives. And this is what's been happening, time and time again. Some may come back, but at this point, it's uh, it's gone pretty far. Mm. You're chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. So, uh, um, how many members have you lost? Do you know, have you, are you able to quantify that? It's it's hard to quantify, and it's it's although quite a few. You know, we have about you know it's hard to know. We have fifty or sixty, seventy companies, and these are these are executives who run Asia from from Hong Kong, parts mm. of Asia or Asia Pacific from Hong Kong. But we we're back to some live meetings. And we can't get a quorum because if there many are gone, even if gone t temporarily, and then some have taken off for the summer, and and this often happens. But now it's three months or it's four months, and one of our executives, for example, was just away five months, came back for a month, is going away for another three, planning to come back. But this is this is the pattern, and of course the quarantine. If it is, if the restrictions are eased, that'll make it that'll make it at least more attractive for them to come back for, for a longer period of time, but not sure about the family, right? For international companies, Mark, is it the mainland border or it's the international border? It's both. Right. It's both. And, you know, they can. several have gone to the mainland for business and have managed to get in. And stayed there. They've been yeah, but then they get trapped, and, of course, they got trapped in Shanghai and a, and a couple of others. And that's the question you just that's been mentioned before. It's the uncertainty that's... That's really weighing on them. And so they're looking for alternatives, either temporary or longer term, and been moving staff out of Hong Kong to other places as well. And some companies have just decided not to have regional headquarters here or anywhere else in Asia and have sort of pulled back the responsibilities to headquarters wherever that is. Don't know <laughs> if that'll work, but that's... Who's the big winner in this? Singapore or Dubai? Well, Singapore's won to some degree, but in, in some cases, and these are well-known companies, I won't mention them now, who have, have big presence in Asia, uh, none of them, none of them. They've just decided to put the responsibilities elsewhere, and so they don't have anyone in Asia that's 
that's the head of Asia. So it could be the guy back in the States? Yeah, partly. And this happens all the time. It's just been accelerated so much by, by COVID. And some of these may be put back eventually, but it's it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, George Calthorley, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike as well. Yeah, we've got Mike and Mark here. Thanks thanks very much uh, for joining us this morning. So you're Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce. Uh, That scenario that Mark was uh, just describing, um, um, do you recognise that as well among your organisation? Well, our organisation, yeah, I think uh, pretty much the same. Um, I mean, throughout all businesses in Hong Kong, that want to interact with the international community. Um, the quarantine has been a major barrier uh, to doing that. And I think you've got to look at uh, two, really two groups of businesses. Businesses based in Hong Kong, which include, of course, the regional offices, and then businesses outside Hong Kong who want access into Hong Kong in order to sell their goods here. And for the businesses based in Hong Kong, now if you reduce the quarantine from seven down to three. I think five won't make any difference at all. But down to three, that will be helpful. It will be even more helpful if you allow them to, when they return home quarantine, that I think will kickstart much more uh, uh, regional travel. Um, But of course, uh, if you want to get back close to pre-COVID, you need to uh, have no quarantine whatsoever. Um, And for international businesses wanting to send employees to Hong Kong, that won't pick up until you have absolutely no quarantine here uh, whatsoever. And I think also um, we have to realize that business travel will not ever, well, for a long time, come back to what it has been pre-COVID because people have got used to using video conferencing. And I think businesses will look to reduce travel expenses by having a combination of uh, physical visits and video conferences. So I think business, I mean, it's bad news for the airlines. I think they're going to lose maybe 25% or even more of their business travel going forward. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that is bad news for the airlines. That could, you could argue that that is just a sort of natural evolution of, uh, of uh, doing business as a result of uh, improving technology and so on. I mean, OK, it's been sort of driven forward by COVID restrictions, but uh, is, is that sort of what the future entails anyway? I mean, it's, it's been accelerated um, by COVID um, because necessity is often the mother in, of, of invention. Um, and I think another, another point I want to make is, of course, this issue of airlines being penalized for carrying uh, an excessive number of people who subsequently test positive in Hong Kong. I mean, I think this is one of the most unfair mm-hmm. uh, policies that has been introduced because for the most part, it's beyond airlines control. Um, I think they're pretty diligent at making sure that everyone has gone through all the paperwork. But as we all know, um, this this uh, virus moves so fast that you can test one day negative and the next day or two days later you can be positive. Um, and I think this is a big turn off for people traveling mm. um, because uh, you know, they, they get 
flights cancelled, um, and, and it's just too complicated. Yeah, and all the arrangements have to be made again. But George, yeah, and, and, and you, you, and also you impact all the people who book for the following four days. Right. They lose all their flights. I mean, it really, <laughs> if you want to turn off business travel to Hong Kong, that's about the most effective way you could have done it. <laughs> about the best you can do. George, there were reports in the last couple of days that the liaison office is talking directly to international chambers. Have you got any insight on that? Well, I, I mean, other than what's in the paper, um, I haven't. Uh, we haven't been approached, but that's not surprising because I think they would be approaching the chambers that represented the major part of international business. And we're, we're more a general chamber, um, so they probably want specifics. But it's, it's a very good sign. Um, and uh, what I had heard was that uh, they, they were listening to what they were told. Um, so I, I hope that's, that's true. And I hope they could influence policymakers also, um, because we are really in a bad situation as far as our status as an right. international business center is concerned. Because we, I mean, we, we seem to be debating about whether quarantine at home would do it or cutting the number of days a bit would do it. But you're quite right. If, if, if I'm in Europe and I'm not subject to any quarantine at all and I'm not wearing a mask, um, we're, we're playing at the fringes, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I think you know, we, we've got down to seven days quarantined. I think the next step has to be total abolition. Um, if, you, if you want to make a real impact on improving business travel um, that's that's what you've got to do uh, and I think any half measure five days three days of course it's going to be of some help but marginal really so how encouraged uh, are you uh, from the remarks that we heard from the incoming chief executive uh, John Lee you know he's saying that he's going to uh, work on a plan to make it easier for uh, international and cross-border channel uh, uh, the incoming health minister has been um, saying things as well I mean, um, what's your feeling now about how the situation may change uh, hopefully uh, for the better from the point of view of international business after July the 1st that they're aware of the situation. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not particularly hopeful that we're going to see something that has going to have a material impact. I, I suspect what we'll get is a reduction um, in the uh, quarantine, um, and that's not really going to be of much help. Mm. But psychologically, it's, it's better for the people who are, have got to be here, I suppose. John Lee has you in his room and says, George, you can choose between quarantine at home or a cut to three days. Which one would you go for? Um, ah, good question. Um, I think uh, uh, quarantine at home, um, because as a, as a business, we then save the hotel expenses. Right. And, of course, we've all got used to working from home, at least part right, of the time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I we've mean, adapted quarantine to Quarantine at home is... is manageable, uh, particularly if it's going to be for seven days, uh, instead of 
seven days in the hotel, that's seven days of expense that we've saved that would encourage businesses to send people off. They, they would not be unhappy to spend seven days at home when they come back, help them recover from jet lag. Right. It's not a great choice, but I, I, I agree with George. But, but again, we have to see the details, and I think the uncertainty has been part, a big part of the problem. Some of it understandable, but you understand that. As far as travel, I suspect that it will go down, and of course, the digital uh, expertise among companies has improved tremendously because it had to over the past two years. So there are a lot of more, there are a lot more options to now communicate. But in some cases, you have to. One one of our members, for example, just made two acquisitions in Malaysia. Has to go to Malaysia to see them, right? You can't do the. It's not online shopping, in in this case, as he he mentioned before. But the, at the same time, you know, there is a continuing attraction for Hong Kong, even for people that you know that are thinking of things because those, especially that are that are related to China, say, "Here's one quote from we had a meeting last week." One of our members said, you live, feel, and breathe China when you're in Hong Kong. You don't do that in Singapore. For businesses with a center of gravity in China, Hong Kong will still be an important place. So, you know, there's that that aspect as well. And so some are trying to tough it out and, and try to um, make make changes that will allow them to, to stay, at least to have a partial presence in Hong Kong. Uh, Mark, mm. for the mainland, maybe it is only the mainland, how about this closed loop thing? That you you go with a fixed itinerary. You only meet the you only go to the cities you say, and you only meet the people you say, and then you come back. It, is that just harassment? Of, well, it's it's harder, but you know, uh, I've been traveling in in Asia for a long time, and, and many of you have as well. And we were actually had somewhat like that system, maybe not with penalties in several countries over the years, anyway. So you did have to have a wasn't necessarily supervised by the government, but you had a basic itinerary, and you saw you just went through that, and you sort of told people in advance. And in some cases, governments did get involved. So it's not exactly new; it's just a stricter system. And of course, technology is much better, so they can track you. It depends who's monitoring. Yeah, it. exactly. I mean, I travelled extensively in, uh, in West Hong Kong, yeah, um, and I had to get approval for every trip. That's right from the policy bureau. So yes. The, but it uh, didn't always happen. Anyway, <laughs> it didn't always happen. <laughs> so, and also, what do you think about this idea that Hong Kong could gradually open up with certain cities uh, in the south, uh, uh, cities in in you know, uh, Shenzhen or the Greater Bay Area, uh, that kind of thing, um, as an initial means of uh, opening up the border with the mainland? Well, that's always better. I mean, yeah. that, that's progress. But the, the question is, I mean, for instance, now, you can go, um, and uh, but the quota is 700. That's right. And trying to get one of those 700 is very, very difficult indeed. My colleague who wants to go to Hainan, where we have a factory, um, he's been trying for over two weeks now. And, and every day, you know, he, he logs on as soon as it's open, and he's not been able to get... Um, a, a, a quota um, for, for, for two weeks. Um, so if you're going to do that, you've got to expand the quota very, very considerably. But at least, you know, f for many companies, of course, uh, it's the southern China, particularly Guangdong uh, province, where their businesses are. So this would be very helpful, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And it was sort but of I like the that, bubbles we talked about before. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I think also the other the, the other thing is that that I mean, uh, um, following on what Mark said earlier, um, it's very important to open the border to the international uh, community before China, if China won't allow us to to do it um, on the same terms, because as Mark says. Uh, we live and breathe China here, so we're we're still in very close contact. We can manage our businesses uh, despite all the difficulties, but we can't do the same if we want to access the international community. Yeah, because you, you can have you you send people over there and they stay there, and they, yes, I mean, and they're my, in very close liaison with the Hong Kong office. My my colleague is going for six months. <laughs> I think he wants to get away from his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we we had one of our members who went to Singapore for one month, and it's six months ago. And he's been he's been in Singapore, he's been the rest of Asia, he's been in Europe. I mean, it's just it's what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, Anya, is it? No, good morning. It's, it's Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Sorry, sorry, I miss I miss I misheard our producer. Uh, uh, good morning to you. Uh, yeah, please go ahead. Good, good morning. Uh, well, I'm uh, interesting discussion this morning, and I'm speaking to you from my quarantine hotel room in Chimsa Choi. Mm -hmm. Um, where I've just come back from my first trip out of Hong Kong in over two years. And uh, I'm, since I've been away for the last six weeks, it is encouraging to hear um, that John Lee is thinking about changing uh, the system. Uh, I think a couple quick points, though. The whole point of a quarantine system, I think, is partially to discourage travel in the first place. You know, to me, it doesn't seem like we're really catching that many people through the system. The system is there to make it difficult to come here. That's the point of it. So if he wants to make it more easy for people to come to Hong Kong going forward, I think that would be great for business here. But I think a point that you're not discussing that's even, even perhaps more important is that given the COVID architecture here, you know, I'm sitting in a hotel room right now testing myself every day. And my biggest fear is if I test positive, you know, the guys in the white suits are going to come and knock on my door and take me to another hotel or to one of the quarantine centers. And that's an issue for families here, people with kids. They want their kids to be in school, not at home. And they're also worried about mass testings, things like are going on at St. Stephen's College right now, where you test positive and nobody knows what's going to happen to you. Mm. Who would want to come here on a business trip, spend three hours getting through the airport, which is what it took me to sit in a hotel room to worry about being taken somewhere else because they test positive? Mm. Who so, would want to move here and put themselves through that? So, so what would you suggest? How should things be done? Well, I think the suggestion's got to be that Hong Kong has to learn to live with the virus. I've just come back from the United States for the last six weeks where the United States is living with the virus very successfully. There's, a, there's now a new wave of Omicron coming through. Hospitalization rates are reasonably stable. Death rates are reasonably stable. The U.S. has moved on. To the point about air travel, you know, I was traveling, flying around inside the states. The airports are packed. No one's, you know, this whole idea of video conferencing replacing travel does not seem to be happening in the United States right now. So, you know, I think we, we, we in Hong Kong face a real choice here, whether we want to sort of continue to isolate ourselves from everywhere or pick one place that we don't have to be isolated from, which is the rest of the world. Uh, can I ask, uh, Elliot, are you a business person? Are you a professional in Hong Kong? I'm a consultant. I'm a former investment banker and solicitor. Mm -hmm. And, and are, are you thinking that... Uh, uh, that you know you might relocate because of the uh, because of the the quarantine policy here. Well, it's a challenge. I've lived here for thirty years, mm -hmm. and this is my home, so I don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to be locked inside Hong Kong 
and have to go through what I'm going through now. Mm-hmm. Four days in a hotel room is not fun. I have to do three more. I can't imagine what 21 days would have been like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Let me say, Elliot, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're braver than I. The, the thing that's been deterring me from travelling for the last two and a half years is this thought. You're, you're right. I mean, I have a child who did 21 days. Um, she, she, very strong-minded. Must be more stronger than me because I, I could not face it. Even now, seven sounds uh, sinister. It's, it's scary. Mm. So, well done if you're surviving the seven. Mm. Well, midnight on Thursday, I'm out. So, <laughs> fingers crossed I don't test positive tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, yes, let's hope so. Yeah, congratulations and, th- and thanks for the call. Um, um, uh, George Cowthorley, uh, so you said before that you weren't actually involved in any of these uh, talks directly with the liaison office, but, uh, I mean, uh, are you feeling encouraged? I mean, do you, do you, do you think the authorities are, are listening uh, to stories like, well, like the one we've just heard? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that move is encouraging uh, because it's a one-on-one with individual chambers. Uh, It gives the chambers an opportunity to really articulate what they, you know, what 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 the issues are. Um, You know, we we could only know how effective that is going down the road when we see, you know, what what policies are now introduced. But this is a a major step. We've never seen anything like this happen before. Um, So let's hope. Uh, that uh, the authorities are beginning to realise the seriousness of the situation and that they must engage and really understand uh, the implications. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yes, the, Mark, the other, Mark. I mean, what, what Elliot said is exactly right, and I think you've talked about this issue a lot before, but it's certainly, be if it's not the, the main issue, it's behind a lot of the, the concern, because if you test positive, you may not be sick, but then where do you go and... Are you are you quarantined or are you isolated? And that prospect is just not very appealing. Also not appealing to people who might want to come and work in Hong Kong or you're trying to get come and work in Hong Kong, which has become a big, big issue for a lot of the companies that we uh, that we talk with. Mm-hmm. But, but and, a couple of weeks ago, I did test positive at home. But because I'm already here, I was allowed to quarantine at home. Um, that seemed perfectly reasonable. I didn't go out. I, I obeyed the guidelines. And the rest of it, what are we doing to incomers? I mean, that should be the default situation is if you test positive. Uh, the default situation like Singapore is you stay home. Mm-hmm. And, but if you feel you want to go for, for, for uh, more uh, uh, oversight, then, then you can go to a quarantine centre. But that should be your choice rather than the government's choice. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, there's no, we haven't seen any timetable, have we? Um, what would what either of you think about uh, uh, the possibility of a timetable for, you know, once we're at a certain situation regarding uh, COVID, then we'll be able to do this or that? Or, I mean, other places have done this, haven't they? They've given a, a clear a clear sort of roadmap to opening up, but we've yet to see one yet in Hong Kong. Communication, communication mm. is key, mm. and it's something that hasn't been done terribly well. We get mixed messages all the time. We need the details as much as possible. You know you may have to change them going forward. This is just natural, but it's really important, and other places have done it a little bit better. Mm. Mm. George, careful. Yeah, we've asked, we've asked the, the, the government numerous times for timetable. This is an issue they seem most reluctant on. Um, and 
they often retort that well, we don't want to you know, uh, provide expectations we can't fulfill. But people are quite understanding. People know situations change, um, but at least they could see some roadmap and they, they would be able to appreciate it if the situation changed and you, you had to, you know, uh, change, change your timetable. So do do you think when all of this is over and we hope it will be, we hope it'll be over soon I mean is uh, Hong Kong going to retain its attraction as a, an international finance center George I think it's going to have to do a lot of hard work um, catching um, up I, yeah. I think you know, uh, and, and uh, Mark made a very good point. Um, if you're a regional office and you want to bring people to Hong Kong, people are reluctant to come here. They've heard all the stories um, and, and they just don't want to take the risk. So you may not be able to you know, uh, repopulate your, your regional office um, because people just don't want to do it. So there's a, there's a, it's not going to be you know, like flicking on a switch and everyone comes back. It's going to take a lot of hard work and it's going to take time. Right. Someone was saying to me on the phone yesterday. He'd heard that um, to go out to go into a bar, you needed to test sort of outside the bar. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these stories are going all over the world, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and some of them are true and some yeah. of them are not okay. so true. Uh, yeah. But. They're, they're having an impact. Sure, sure. Okay, well, th- well thanks very much uh, to uh, all of you for, for joining us uh, on Back Chat this morning. We're going to take a, a break for the news in a moment. We'll be back uh, at three minutes past uh, talking to Malik Pires, Chair of Virology from the University of uh, Hong Kong, about the latest uh, COVID situation. And then um, but after that, we'll be looking at what's going on in Macau. Um, thanks very much to Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And uh, thanks to George Cowthorley, Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce. A quick look at the weather, mainly fine apart from one or two showers. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 77%, and the very hot weather warning is in effect. For all of our people, not just the G7, all of our people. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat uh, with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And uh, for this part uh, of the programme this morning, we're going to be looking at the latest uh, COVID situation. Uh, we're joined on the line by uh, Malik Pires, the Chair of Virology at the University of Hong Kong's School of uh, Public Health. Uh, uh, good morning to you. Morning, Jim. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, now, uh, we heard you uh, a little earlier on uh, Hong Kong Today. So this is your second time on Radio 3 this morning. Uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, um, because the uh, the infection figure for yesterday was uh, above uh, 1,900, going up towards 2,000, but you were making the point, as has been said uh, before by you and colleagues, that uh, we shouldn't be too worried about that. We shouldn't be too worried about the infection figure. And the more important thing is uh, hospitalisation, uh, serious cases and and fatalities. So what's your kind of uh, assessment of the situation at the moment? Yes, so um, as I said in the morning, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the increase in, in numbers, a slow creep in increases is totally expected uh, in line with expectations given the relaxation of the um, um, public health and social restriction measures. Uh, but the key point we have to look at is the uh, severe cases, ICU admissions, 
And uh, what we are seeing is a dissociation between the case numbers and the severe case uh, numbers. And, and that, is, that is what we would expect. That is what has been seen, for example, in, in other well-vaccinated uh, areas of the world. So we really need to pay attention to the uh, severe cases, ICU admissions, and that is uh, certainly well within um, uh, manageable numbers. Mm. Uh, talking about vaccination, though, uh, uh, the, the, the point is still being made that the, the most uh, vulnerable in society, uh, uh, among the over 80s, for instance, um, only, I think, 62% uh, have had two jabs, which means 38% uh, haven't. I mean, you know, how worried should we be about that? So that, that really is the, the issue, you know, that, the, the remaining concern. Uh, and it's not just the two doses. I mean, we know that uh, against Omicron, we need three doses of whatever vaccine you wish to have. And that uh, three doses provides good protection. So really, we, we need to be uh, urging the senior citizens um, to uh, first get vaccinated and, and make sure they are up to date with three doses. I think the messaging is important. Uh, I mean, in the first two years of the pandemic, um, essentially, uh, as a community, we were protecting ourselves and everybody else. Now, uh, we have the tools to protect ourselves, which is vaccine, uh, RAT testing, uh, antivirals, if you're infected and you're at high risk. So now it's um, uh, responsibility has to move to the individual. Um, we can no longer, I think, uh, continue to expect society to protect the individual, and we have to take responsibility for our own protection. And I think that message uh, really needs to be sent out uh, loud and clear. But does that also apply to the over 80s who may be, say, infirm or, or may not be uh, you know, f fully in control of their own, own faculties anymore? Uh, so, I mean, it, I mean, these vaccines are quite safe for over 80s, uh, for even those who are uh, the frail elderly. Mm. Um, now, of course, they may not be able to go and access the vaccine. They may not be able to travel to the vaccine sites, etc. And, and this is why it is important, uh, the initiative that the government was uh, taking a few months ago. I don't know whether it is still progressing and, and progressing at full speed uh, to take the vaccine to these uh, housing estates, particularly yeah, where we know. Uh, so I think you have to take the vaccine to the people and try to get um, the individuals uh, the opportunity to have the vaccine. Yeah. Should it still be voluntary? Uh, well, I mean, I think uh, making something mandatory is, is, is quite a major, major issue. Uh, and I, I personally don't think that is... Uh, the appropriate measure for Hong Kong, although, of course, um, you know, other vaccines for children are, are mandatory if you want to um, access schooling and things like that. So, uh, so my, my own inclination would be to try to provide all the opportunities uh, for people to get the vaccine and provide the education and the messaging that is, um, that is quite clear. That, and I think, you know, if you take the next six to 12 months, uh, everybody in Hong Kong almost is going to get exposed to this virus, whether we like it or not. And we have to, we have to accept that, realize that, and take measures to protect ourselves.
Can it be included in the annual flu shot? Uh, it, it can be given together. Uh, and, and indeed, as uh, I think what you're alluding to, the uptake of the flu vaccination amongst the uh, senior citizens, particularly those who are in, uh, in the nursing homes, uh, elderly homes, has been very high in the 90% range in the past. And indeed, uh, you know, the, the technology of vaccines, especially with the, with the Sinovac, is more or less the same as the flu vaccine. So, so really, you know, if you can take the flu vaccine, there's no reason why you cannot take um, uh, one, of the, one of the available vaccines. Right. And, and they can be given together. Yep. And indeed, I think we have to pay attention to the fact that uh, uh, Hong Kong and many parts of the world are very exposed to flu outbreaks because we have not had uh, hardly any influenza infections over the last two years. So the uh, population immunity to flu is close to zero. Right. So we are expecting quite a major flu outbreak in the next uh, flu season. There are reports in the mainland, in fact, that that's now becoming a concern among officials, that because of all the focus has been on COVID, there's uh, been neglect, for want of a better word, of, of ordinary flu. Uh, yes, indeed. So, I mean, at the moment, Australia, uh, I mean, this is the flu season for Australia. This is their winter. They are having quite a major flu outbreak. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, uh, when the flu season for Hong Kong, which will be next spring, uh, comes around, uh, I think uh, it'll be inevitable that we will have a big uh, flu outbreak. Mm. We seem to be playing at the moment between two choices. One is uh, fiddling at the fringes, maybe allowing quarantine at home, maybe for a smaller number of days, um, or dropping altogether... Uh, a, but we're still talking about returning Hong Kong residents, essentially, aren't we? When are we going to throw open the doors and say to the whole world, you're welcome to come? So I think, you know, the, the people, travellers essentially do not pose uh, such a major risk. And if you look at the number of cases, uh, the, and the daily numbers of cases, which are 1,700, 800, 900 uh, and, and probably will be creeping up further. Um, so, the, so the number of uh, returning travellers or travellers uh, uh, do not pose uh, a, a significant risk, particularly because they are by and large healthy, they are well vaccinated, they are by and large, again, not those uh, people who are at high risk of uh, getting complications if they get infections, and they are not likely to pose a significant threat to the um, to the hospital sector, uh, I mean, you could, if if it's not Hong Kong residents, you could uh, insist that they have adequate insurance and and, and issues like that uh, to to cover them if they are if they are unwell. So th there are probably many measures that you can take to uh, to to address some of the problems, but I I don't see a major problem at the moment uh, in uh, in opening up travel. And I think if you, we had to also keep in mind that this quarantine has not been a guarantee to preventing new variants getting into Hong Kong. Uh, BA1 and BA2 got into Hong Kong within, within a month of it being detected in South Africa. And indeed, BA2 got into Hong Kong because of a 21-day quarantine. I mean, that person who introduced the infection in Hong Kong was not infected when she came to Hong Kong. She got infected in the quarantine hotel. So I think we really have to accept 
that um, these measures that we are talking about, even the 21-day quarantine was no guarantee against preventing variants uh, from getting into Hong Kong. So we had to be more, more realistic uh, in our risk assessments. We have seen quite a few imported cases, though, haven't we? I mean, like, for instance, yesterday there were 118. I mean, um, how do they actually get into Hong Kong? I mean, all these uh, people, they're all tested before they get on the plane? Uh, yes, so, of course, there is an incubation period, so, so people may test negative, and they may, a few may test positive at the airport, but I, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I, I would imagine that a good proportion of this 118 or whatever tested positive, uh, uh, you know, after the, in their quarantine hotel in the subsequent testing. Mm. So, so that is, uh, that is um, uh, not unexpected. Okay. Um, yeah, so before nine o'clock, uh, we were talking about the possible opening of the border and uh, ending travel restrictions uh, from a, a, a business and social point of view. But from a public health point of view, um, you, you also agreed that, that we can do that, essentially. Uh, we, we, can, we can safely open up now with the rest of the world, and that's how we should be thinking, yeah? I think we can open up to travel to the rest of the world. Mm. I think there could be some measures that uh, still are in place. Um, um, having a negative PCR before you board, uh, some form of um, uh, testing at arrival, and, and these are logistics that really one has to work out because, um, you know, given the numbers uh, that may be coming in and, and whether this is feasible, or at least, uh, um, you know, compulsory testing for you know, at intermittent uh, time intervals after you come for maybe seven days. So there are a number of options you can take to, to reduce risk. But I don't think there is a real reason to completely uh, shut Hong Kong off uh, or greatly shut Hong Kong off from uh, international movement at the moment. And would there be any point in reducing quarantine? I mean, like now it's seven days. I mean, would there be any point in reducing it to five days or three days, or, or would it be better just to do away with it altogether? Uh, I think doing away with it altogether would be, would be uh, acceptable. I mean, I think, you know, there are various... Uh, combinations um, um, of measures that one can take to to reduce risk and it is uh, i mean it is you know it'll be important to uh, uh, from a logistic point of view to to work out what what are what are the most practicable measures but i i think uh, uh, as i explained you know quarantine is is no guarantee right. of preventing um, viruses getting into hong kong and and really it's just not the numbers, right? I mean, uh, whatever hundreds that uh, may come in is, is not having a huge impact on the total caseload, given the fact that most of these people are not, um, uh, are not going to be right. uh, ending up with uh, serious disease. So it will be the new variants that are the, the, the concern. And at the moment, there is no uh, really scary variants out there. Right. Um, I mean, there are a couple that could come in the future, I suppose. We, well, we, yeah, I mean, they could come in the future, but, I mean, you know, you, you, then we you take don't again. make policy today for right. what might happen in the future. Yeah. We, people in Europe and North America, they're not talking about COVID anymore. Um, but we seem in Asia and in Hong Kong and the mainland especially, we seem obsessed with it. Is there a, a reason for that? Well, I mean, I think there's a happy medium. I, I think it, it's relevant to... Uh, 
to have some concern, um, have some sensible measures, and and there are you know uh, wearing masks in uh, indoor crowded places. Um, uh, these are sensible measures that that reduce uh, risk, but do not really uh, in a major way uh, impinge on your movement and, and flexibility to 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 get around, etc. So I think. Uh, Awareness and, and sensible precautions are, are worthwhile. Uh, but I think, um, uh, yeah, so we really have to take a sensible risk assessment. Uh, and, of course, there are risks and benefits of all these uh, issues. And I think in the earlier segment uh, you were discussing uh, of the economic impacts that uh, some of these measures are having. So we really have to balance these in a sensible manner. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Malik Peris, the Chair of Virology at the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health. And we're going to turn our attention to uh, Macau in a moment. Uh, just before we do that, uh, just uh, one comment on our Facebook page uh, from John says, uh, I've, heard, uh, I've said it thousands of times, uh, hotels were never designed to be quarantine isolation facilities. Uh, rooms share common corridors doors, ventilation and drainage and are recorded as spreading disease. And now it seems hotels are taking advantage and gouging prices, uh, cancelling bookings, etc. Uh, that from uh, John. Um, I have another, I have a, a longer email from uh, listener Alonso, which we'll, we'll keep till uh, I think uh, ten, about 10 minutes time at the end of the programme because we're now uh, on the line. We have with us uh, Agnes Lam, who's uh, a legislator in Macau. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So, so um, I see from the news that uh, the Macau government has uh, announced uh, a third round of universal testing of residents uh, over the next uh, two days. Uh, and uh, yesterday, I think, uh, or the day before, um, the number of new cases had uh, jumped to nearly uh, 300. What's, what's the sort of feeling like? What's the atmosphere like in Macau at the moment? So I think the uh, people feel a bit more worried. You know, last time when we talked about that, I think uh, people still kind of speculate if this is going to be serious. But then in the past few days, and then uh, we have the broadcasting system, we have the kind of a community broadcasting system on. And so the government's putting ads there and basically ask people to stay at home, do not go out. And so you, everyone receive message from the government as well, telling you to... Uh, stay home and do the uh, test you know, on your own and make sure that uh, if it's kind of positive, you call the police and then so, 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 so it's like uh, I think all those kind of messages or reminders, people feel a bit more nervous now. What's the overall impact on, on health? I mean, we, we've decided here that the critical numbers are not so much the number of cases but the number of hospitalizations and the number of people going who have to go into an ICU. How is that getting going on in Macau? So, so actually, I think uh, in uh, as long as I, I understand is that now over seventy percent of the uh, the cases um, they have no symptoms, right? So we have thirty percent of them uh, they they got symptoms, and uh, as the chief executive. Uh, he spoke in the press conference. That was the last time we heard about the patient situation. So he said that most of them, they got only mild symptoms. But I think in Macau, people are still kind of worried because uh, we are not a place with, you know, uh, 
plenty of medical resources. And so before the pandemic, uh, we have like only, if I remember correctly, only 60 beds that, that, that can be equipped to, to deal with COVID. And after the COVID starts, and then we, uh, the government, uh, have some kind of, uh, major, uh, renovation in the hospital. And then we have 256. And so that's why in, in, in this April, the government issue of uh, a kind of handbook telling that we are going to have the community uh, medical service if there would be a major outbreak. And now I just read your number is that at maximum, including uh, some of the uh, hotels that you're going to use if we have a major outbreak, uh, all those beds we can accommodate uh, 6,700. Mm-hmm. And so with the, there's a major community uh, service uh, medical service open in the Macau Dome, uh, the sports stadium. So that one uh, center, uh, community uh, medical center we call, would provide 4,400 uh, beds there. Right. And so uh, I think now we're still kind of in control of the situation. People start to worry such that, uh, with the impression of what we have over the years and we don't have enough facilities. But I think with this kind of major um, stadium community center open, we are still kind of in control. But then, because we have very strict um, restroom and yellow zone uh, policy implement, there are a lot of people who are under quarantine now. And mm. so then we start to exhaust the quarantine spaces. Mm. What are the economic <clears throat> implications in Macau? How is the economy doing generally? Uh, the economy is really bad now and so it's everyone know that uh we rely on tourism and so the uh and also the, the gaming industry and so the revenue was very low in the past uh month actually but uh, we we just have a little bit uh mm. uh kind of rising up in early may i guess and then later the situation is very bad and but that this time because uh, the government also kind of banned the, um, you know, eating in the restaurant, right? You can only have a uh, takeaway. And that really hurts the uh, SME. Yes. And so you see that, yeah, just the restaurants, and then they, they, they're basically crying. And so uh, the no one is optimistic about the economy like, in this uh, situation, in this month, and maybe the, the next month also. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine, in fact, has just arrived in Hong Kong from Macau, he and his family oh. are leaving forever. They, they're never going back to Macau because the economy is so dire. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we also, uh, we've been seeing uh, some of, um, even some university quality living, and so uh, the people living because the economy situation is really going down. And also, you know, once, once the economy is not good, and then uh, this is also a city we rely on, uh, overseas worker, right? But then the, when the when the unemployment rate start to to rise, and then the local they demand for jobs, and so there's a also a huge pressure that the the, uh, the government will will ask the you know casino or anybody right. employer, okay, they may need to sh- not not stop the contract, but when they ask to renew contract of the non local workers, it's getting harder and harder. Right. And so some people they 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 feel stuck because there there was no mobility. You, you can't really travel and come back for the overseas workers. So some people feel stuck. They live forever, and so some people they just 
uh, do not get their contract renewed. And so I think this, this situation is going to be, I, if, if the COVID is like this, and so uh, it's going to hurt Macau uh, in this way. And, and, the, and the gaming revenue is lower than the previous year this year. Are the, are the casinos open? Lower than the year before, yeah. Are the casinos open the casino at the moment? Still, yeah, the casinos are still open, but then uh, yesterday mm. the government also no announced kind of, uh, no tourists. And we still have some people going there, but even the casino, we also have some uh, new uh, measurements. And so the, the government uh, announced yesterday that um, they should keep, you know, uh, um, kind of uh, the 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 they should keep some kind of measure to prevent too many people in the casino. But even though we don't, we don't really have a lot of people in the casino already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite interesting because the casinos are, are still open, but uh, cinemas, theatres, game centres, gyms, uh, karaoke's, bars, nightclubs, and like you say, restaurants can only do uh, takeaway, uh, no dining, yeah. no dining services. And what, why, why is that? Is that because the casinos um, amount for such a high proportion of uh, employment in Macau? Yeah, the, uh, the, the casino, I think, like. We have over 50,000 people who work in the casino business. Mm-hmm. And so we only have 300 and, uh, 350,000, uh, you know, working, um, people, uh, working population in Macau. And so it's a big, uh, part of it. But if we, we also include all those business industries that are related to casino, like the tourism, you know, hotel and even retails. And so there will be a lot of people. And I just got the new number. Uh, so uh, up until uh, midnight last night, uh, the reported cases, positive cases now, uh, 357. Mm. And so, uh, and we have over 8,000 people there under quarantine now. So it's basically kind of reached the capacity um, of the city now. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, well. let's hope the situation uh, improves there. Uh, but uh, uh, thanks very much for uh, joining us uh, on the programme this morning. That was uh, Agnes Lam, uh, lawmaker in uh, Macau. Um, uh, thanks for speaking to us. Um, just before we bring today's programme to an end, uh, like I say, a couple more messages uh, from uh, listeners. So this one from Ursula says, uh, uh, I heard uh, the guest uh, said that uh, rat... Uh, that's RAT, rapid antigen testing, is uh, a protection, but how many people would like to take the RAT test before entering schools or workplaces? I mean, we have to test ourselves at home and take a photo of our RAT kit. Uh, some people would mark the date and time on it, but there are more people who are not willing to do the RAT test. Uh, we just save one negative rat test photo and then show it when we need to. To be honest, no one would like to go to a quarantine centre or be forced to cancel their activities, especially uh, when uh, they don't have uh, any symptoms. Um, And this one from uh, Alonso says... uh, Uh, It's anyone's guess when Hong Kong's continued restrictive COVID-related quarantine rules will be eased. But here is an example of how their economic damaging effects will last until next year, if not longer. 
A few months ago, a friend of mine booked a four-week holiday on a luxury cruise liner for next year. The cruise was meant to sail from Hong Kong in early February 2023 to a number of Southeast Asian destinations before returning to Hong Kong in March. Yesterday, she received an email from the cruise company uh, which is, uh, well, names the company uh, to advise her that uh, the itinerary had been changed. The voyage will now begin and end in Singapore in lieu of uh, Hong Kong uh, due to, quote, due to continued restrictions and uncertainty around access to the ports we visit in Asia, particularly the continued closure of Hong Kong to cruise ships uh, calls. In short, Hong Kong has been entirely removed from the itinerary, despite the fact that the cruise doesn't take place until February, March of 2023. John Lee has a golden chance to endear himself to the public by removing the absurd travel restrictions which his predecessor has implemented. Let's hope that he seizes the opportunity. Failure to do so will extend our economic slump and likely cause irreversible damage to our city's role as a global financial hub. I think that message is illustrating it's a very, very important point that the damage is long term and even if we change policy now, it's going to take a very long time for the airlines to get back with their, with their schedules, for cruise companies. This is, cruise companies are planning for one, two, three years ahead where their ship's going to be based and if, if they commit them to somewhere else, they're just not going to come back during that time span. Strong message, very valid point. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for that, Alonso. Uh, thank you, uh, Mike. Thanks for co-hosting today's programme. Nice to have my voice and, back. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Good to have you back. And thanks very much to our producer, Yuki. Um, now, just before we go to the news summary and morning brew, a uh, quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly fine today, apart from one or two showers. Very hot during the day with a top temperature around 34 degrees. Moderate south to southwesterly winds. The outlook... Mainly fine and very hot tomorrow. Showers will increase gradually in the middle and latter parts of this week. Currently, the temperature is 30 degrees, humidity 72%, and the very hot weather warning is in effect. When you receive a statutory notice under the Mandatory Building Inspection Scheme, you must appoint a registered inspector to inspect the building and supervise repair works found necessary. The Buildings Department may conduct audit checks afterwards, even if you haven't received 